May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Amen. We have so much good news today, my friends. There's the gospel of Jesus Christ filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and the year of the Lord's favor. Here, today, this day. But that's not all. There's also the good news that we are the body of this very same Christ and individually members of it. You belong. You belong through Christ and are called to proclaim with Christ the good news of his salvation to all people. It's enough to send you off and running, isn't it? To church. To answer your call with like-minded Christians. But it only takes a few long committee meetings before you realize that these Christians are not so like-minded after all. And so the story goes since the beginning of the church. As early as 20 years after the first Pentecost, members of the Corinthian church are, surprise, surprise, disagreeing. They're competing, offending and taking offense, leaving out those considered weak, and wondering if they themselves or those others really belong after all. In today's epistle, Paul assures them that they do. They do belong to each other and to God and to this church, each and every one of them. The eye and the foot and the hand and the nose and the nose hair. The activist and contemplative, the extrovert and introvert, the conservative and progressive, happy and sad, and everyone in between. Each has something to offer, a perspective that others need. It sounds it sounds so lovely, doesn't it? It's so inspiring. But the fact is, it's really quite messy. Boy, do I know. Living with others can be quite messy. You see, I had this experience recently, an experience that might be familiar to some of you. Quarantine. Quarantine. My husband came down with COVID way back in the old days when the quarantine period was a strict 10 days. That was 10 long days of our family of five figuring out how we were going to do this, negotiating who could do what, all with different needs, priorities, and values, different ideas about what health and safety required of us. 
One of my children tends to be especially cautious and another especially relaxed. One is very happy to be at home and read or, I'll be honest, watch TV. But my other is active and outgoing and needs to be out. I, for my part, was focused on staying healthy for my family and for you, for this church, while my college children were longing. They were home and longing to be with friends they hadn't seen for a while, which was important. And my husband, my poor husband who had COVID, was more or less shut up in a bedroom, lonely, bored, dependent on others, namely yours truly, for almost everything he needed and every meal. It was rough. I'm not going to lie. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. There was a lot of arguing, yelling, stomping off, door slamming. But here's the thing. Underneath all of that, we loved each other. And we were family. We argued because we cared. We argued because we could. So yes, we had conflict, lots of it. But it did not undo us. We were held together. Our differences and disagreements were held by relationships and histories, by a union that transcended this stressful, confusing moment and all of the disagreements and ugly behaviors that happened within it. Where two or three are gathered together, there is conflict, right? So why on earth does Paul write in his letter that God arranged the Christian body, one with many members, that there may be no dissension? Is that even possible? Well, no. Not if by dissension we understand him to mean conflict or disagreement. But the word Paul uses in Greek is actually schisma or schism. It's a tearing or rending apart, a cutting off, a denial of another's humanity or belonging. And that can take many forms. One form is shunning. Shunning. That's a term used by Sarah Schulman in her book, Conflict is Not Abuse. Conflict, she says, is rooted in difference, and people are and always will be different. So it's not conflict or even difference that's the problem. It's our overreaction to difference. And shunning, cutting another off, refusing to speak to them, that's a favorite overreaction to difference. Now, I want to be clear here that shunning is not the same as separation. Sometimes some kind of separation is necessary, as in the case of abuse 
or addiction or any situation or relationship that is causing actual harm. Sometimes, sometimes gaining distance or insisting on change or on clear and firm boundaries is actually the most loving and hopeful thing we can do. But that's not shunning. Shunning is detaching with an X, to use a term from Al-Anon. It's a way to attack by hiding out, to avoid examining oneself or facing problems by cutting off other people and what they see or represent. And shunning is highly effective. It's effective at making people feel better and superior, some people, that is. It's effective at bolstering a group's sense of cohesion and identity, maybe false loyalty. And it is effective. It is so effective at causing great pain and escalating conflicts to the point of very real harm. The group or community or friends surrounding a conflict or a conflicted party can contribute to escalating, can contribute to harm through shunning and other forms of cut-off. But they also can contribute to healing and repair. And that brings us back to Paul. The Christian community is not like all other human communities. The Christian community is called into being and grounded in and sustained by God. God arranged the Christian body, that there may be no schism, no shunning within the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. Care. That is Paul's answer to schism. The same care for all members of the body of Christ, for the head and for the pesky nose hair, for the toe that gets stepped on, and for the foot that steps on it. But how? What does a community of care and repair look like? Well, it does not look like leaping to your aggrieved friend's side, no question asked, and feeding their anger and reinforcing a one-sided version of things and rushing to punish whoever is on the other side. No. Communities of care and repair proceed much more cautiously and responsibly. They take time 
First, they take time to understand from as many perspectives as possible. And they're willing to tolerate the uncertainty and discomfort that that can create. Communities of care and repair hold or comprehend difference, recognizing that all people have contradictions and all people are worthy of love and care. And finally, these communities, these groups of friends, they seek and encourage and practice alternatives to escalation of conflict, alternatives to blame and scapegoating, shunning and schism in all areas of life. They practice and witness to another way by doing exactly what you're doing, praying together, confessing and repenting, speaking and listening face to face when that's possible, and believing, believing stubbornly in grace and reconciliation. It sounds superhuman, doesn't it? Well, it is. It is. It's only possible in and with God. It's God in whom we are one. It's God who holds all of this and all of us together. And it's God. It's only possible in God who loves each and every one of us and has chosen us. And it's only possible because there is nothing, nothing that you or I or anyone else can undo, can do to undo our belonging to God and one another. Nothing. Isn't that good news? It's great news, and it's news that I hope emboldens all of us to commit to care and repair, even when that seems like the risky or countercultural thing to do. And it's news that we can hold on to and that helps us hold steady through all these anxious and conflicted times. And it's good news that the world needs. The world needs this good news, and it's ours to proclaim as the body of Christ. It's ours to proclaim through our life together and our persistence on loving care. May it be so. Amen.